Welcome to this broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. My name is Scotty Reed. Of course, I'm joined on the line with our with my co-host and co-producer Tag, who has produced this program for you uh, this evening. Today's date is September the 9th. Of course, the year is 2021, and we will be speaking to a couple of activists out of the NYC area. I'll let Tag. Uh, give an introduction on our guests who uh, we are scheduled to speak with today. Uh, we had a late entry, so um, no doubt he'll be able to uh, give you a more proper introduction of our guests. And in general, we'll just be talking about how important it is to get accurate information um, out from the inside, you know, from the actual uh, victims of prison slavery themselves and i do have some news that i want to share that's kind of related to getting accurate information as it relates to incarcerated persons and the covid pandemic but first let me go ahead and uh get a mic check on tag tag are you there yes yes peace are you able to hear me yes i can hear you just fine how how's everything going with you man uh, you know how it goes out here. Just uh, staying focused and great to be back up on New Abolitionist Radio to get into some of these uh, crucial issues because they're they're really wilding beyond the pale inside these plantations as, as they want to. Yes, no doubt it, it is. Um, speaking of which, there is a podcast that I posted to blacktalkradionetwork.com that I feel is very important for people to listen to. So I've taken to following this podcast on on YouTube. They're, they distribute, you know, these videos through YouTube as well as Facebook. But I have been converting them into audio files, but it's from blackdoctor.org. And that's a wonderful res- resource for people of color, uh, specifically black people. Um, a lot of black doctors participate in, in that and in giving accurate information, um, particularly about COVID, the vaccines, and, and, you know, answering questions from the public about that. But that's not all the only thing they're focusing on. They're focusing on your total health. I've seen a couple of podcasts. They were talking about mental health issues. They were also talking about, you know, issues like diabetes, you know, things that unfortunately may be common in non-white communities, health um, health issues. And so, you know, they acknowledge the racism in the system. I, I heard this great podcast they did last week where one of the doctors was t- or sharing the story of, of the doctor in Indiana, the black female doctor who had diagnosed herself with COVID pretty early on and then documented through video her mistreatment by the hospital that she was in and, and so they talked they did an episode on that talking about medical apartheid and i think it was called she wrote a book one of the doctors that was being interviewed called the triple pandemic and so they recently well it was last night um that they did a town hall discussion about covid and the incarcerated it's called making it plain a town hall discussion about covid and the incarcerated and um, just, you know, I was listening to that. I uploaded it to our radio station as well. And I was listening to it on the radio station today because I couldn't catch it live last night. 
And one of the things they talked about in terms of accurate information, they were saying that, you know, you have your jails, which may be run by the county or a city municipality. Then you have your state prisons. Then you have your federal prisons. And saying that in terms of reporting the numbers as it relates to this COVID pandemic, that there isn't a uniform reporting system, um, saying they may not be giving accurate numbers. Um, also, some of them not reporting the racial disparities, although they did acknowledge, that is, the panel did, that communities of color, particularly the black community, is disproportionately impacted. And then, you know, you get on the inside in an environment like that that's just ripe for um, viral spread and all of that's going on. They talked about, you know, uh, these, particularly these jails and prisons that's located in so-called red state America where a lot of these people don't even want to wear masks, let alone get the vaccine. Okay, I understand vaccine hesitancy. I don't agree with it in terms with this vaccine, which millions of millions and over, what, 200 million people have gotten this vaccine. They have a lot of data on on its safety. But I still get it. I still get it if you hesitate. In terms of wearing masks, which are proven, you know, to stop aerial transmission of various diseases, you know, the mask was actually created by a Chinese doctor over 100 years ago to deal with a similar pandemic they was having in China. And, and then later the Europeans adopted this um, for surgery, that surgical face mask to stop the transmission that may come from a doctor to a patient who's cut open on the table. And so they were talking about how a lot of these people are are rioting, and that's I'm not even using, you know, strong language here. I'm using accurate language. You know, they have been taking over school board meetings and, and what have you to push their no-masking uh, um, views, you know, on people. And so then you got those guards who come from those same groups of people, and they're not wearing masks on the inside. They're not making masks available. And, and, and as I suspected early on uh, with the prisons when this pandemic first broke out, I was saying that a lot of this transmission is going to be coming from these guards who go outside the prison and get exposed to whatever and then bring it right back into the prison. And so it's a very serious issue. And, uh, you know, I think that people should check out their podcast, uh, Black Doctor. Um, their website is blackdoctor.org, but you can put Black Doctor in a search engine, find them on YouTube. Um, but it, the one making it plain, a town hall discussion about COVID and the incarcerated, I think everybody should listen to, especially if you work with people that's incarcerated. And Tag, I, I remember, you know, when COVID, that first wave that, you know, there. if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a lot of body bags coming out of some of them jails in New York City at, at Rikers and what have you. It was a lot of body bags and, and what have you. So, you know, now we have this what seems like a third wave of infections with new variants. And, I, I, you know, I'm always concerned about those on the inside, but especially so. So, Tag, you got any thoughts on that before you bring in um, the guests for the discussion? Well, I'll, I'll just uh, build off of that quickly to say that uh, not only a lot of body bags, but uh, some may recall from, from our discussions around that time here on New Abolitionist Radio, they were the Department of Corrections, which we will be discussing at length uh, with, with our uh, special guests for today, they, they had all sorts of so-called uh, pandemic plans where they were working with the medical examiner and they, they, you know, we went into some of the details of the documents that, um, that were leaked, but they, they were very clearly demonstrating that they expected it to be a, a, a huge problem. They expected um, a high number of fatalities, and, and they were preparing not to do much about it until it reached um, proportions where they would have to drastically change their whole approach, including uh, their their approach to to what to do with the bodies of, of heads who transition inside. 
So, um, yeah, just extremely macabre and uh, despicable behavior as usual from the if, uh, if, Department of Corrections. If I remember correctly, we might have even done an interview with someone on the inside, and it seems like I recall from that conversation about not even giving them disinfectant, you know, to disinfect the cells and the common areas and, and things of that nature, you know, just the least that you could do, you know, and that that's wasn't right. being provided. No, that's that's absolutely right. Uh, they were being provided, you know, uh, blue liquid, uh, soap, soap-like substances, and um, and this was for the longest, and this is certainly not to say that now um, heads are just across the board being provided all that they need um, as far as personal protection is concerned. But, but yeah, in, in those uh, earlier days, it was um, just completely, you know, free-for-all in, in that regard. And, um, you know, obviously uh, to this day, it's, it's still uh, woefully inadequate. All right, Tag, so you want to bring the guest in? Let me go ahead and get the mics unmuted. If you want to go ahead and uh, intro the guests and take over. Yes, appreciate that. And um, ideally you have that link. It's just a brief interview that's um, Oh, yeah, I, I do relevant. have that. I, I do have okay. that up. Let me go ahead and try to cue that up right now. There's a commercial going. Um, I had paused it as I was getting prepped. So this is coming from Pix11.com. And, um, yeah, it should be starting here shortly, as soon as they get rid of this this ad that I thought should be finished. <laughs> All right, here we go. Now, let's talk about this at H12 on prompting the Department of – but the COBA Union with 8,000 correctional – this comes as the investigation. Okay, Tag, I'm having some issues with it queuing up. Um, let me see if I just pause okay. it for you and if, if it can go ahead and buffer. Four-year-old inmate this yeah, yeah. Why, why don't we start with intro and then lead into it that way? Okay, go go ahead, Tag. Although I'm going to try to pull this up on another computer, and hopefully it won't buffer as much, but we're having issues right now. But go ahead and intro our guest. No doubt, no doubt. So uh, for today, uh, we are happy to be joined by Jessica and Jamal, and these are comrades who are uh, working with Take Back the Bronx. And they're here to discuss, uh, in, among other things, just part of what we were just discussing as far as uh, the completely inadequate response to this pandemic on the inside and, um, and far more uh, detailed about that, about what's been going on of late with regard to street families on the inside and um, all, all, all manner of injustices uh, on these plantations inside of New York City. So um, if y'all could just uh, intro yourselves um, briefly uh, beyond that, anything that I didn't cover that you want to get into, um, starting with you, Jessica, I know that you have loved ones on the inside, and, um, and I know that you have just been dealing with some of those um, issues uh, related to that just today. So I, I really appreciate you both taking some minutes out. And if you could further introduce yourself uh, to the audience and just give, give everyone more of a sense of what brings you to New Abolitionist Radio today. Thank you so much, Tag. Um, yes, um, Jessica. And I have a son that was on the strikers and he just got transferred to vote. You know, the issue that's happening here is it is so crazy that it has metamorphosed to this degree. Um, the COBA, who is the um, Correction Officers Union, has gotten so honorary that they have decided that they want to uh, set up and sabotage some scenarios to make it seem like the, the violence has escalated so much on the island and in these jails and on the boat that there's a need for more officers, right? So this ludicrous way of thinking, rather than just saying, well, maybe the jails are full and you need to empty them because people don't belong there, they're orchestrating different events on the inside that's really making the people who don't have loved ones on the inside perhaps see things or think a certain way. 
and feel like there's this dire emergency because things are going crazy on the inside. So what they've done is the, the new commissioner has decided that, came up with this great idea because the SEALs union seems to say that, you know, we need to break up gang housing. This is a problem. So what they've done is the commissioner has decided to blend street families with one another. Knowing that there, you know, people, listen, tribes have been around since the beginning of time. Tribes know how to thrive and flourish, you know, within their own. If things are working as is, why mess with that system? So they are purposely taking people that already have beef with one another, and they're purposely sticking them in each other's houses, knowing that there's going to be some sort of fighting that happens and violence. They're perpetuating it, and they're okaying it. They're sanctioning it. Because a lot of VCOs themselves are also in street families, but because they're in a position of power in this plantation, they are creating these scenarios that are basically killing people and creating more violence, which is what they want the outside world to see so that they can justify hiring more, more, more COs. So this is actively what's happening right now. And a lot of officers are just not showing up for work because they want to make it so terrible that, of course, people are going to be fighting with one another. So staff isn't showing up. So if staff doesn't show up and the food truck comes with the commissary, there's nobody to unload it, so that house don't get food. Commissary's low. They're doing this. They're orchestrating this. There's no food. No one's going to medical or mental. It's very rare. You're not getting those type of visits. People aren't really getting their medication. They're making these conditions so that whatever happens after that, they can blame on the inmates and justify this, asking for more, um, for more CEOs to be hired and more, and more pay. Without a doubt. So greatly appreciate you breaking some of that down, Jessica, and we will certainly continue to do so. Uh, you, you were just speaking to this uh, new policy of uh, breaking up so-called gang housing, so we absolutely need to get further into that. Um, Jamal, I'm wondering if you can uh, introduce yourself as well. And uh, we, also, we have a clip of a recent interview with the very slaver that you were speaking to, the, the new commissioner, uh, Shiraldi. So, um, so we, we, we will go to that soon. But, Jamal, uh, would you like to introduce yourself to the New Abolitionist Radio audience, please? Yes. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Thank you for having me. My name is Jamal from Take Back the Bronx, writer, poet, political organizer, you know, um, just grateful to be here on this platform and um, to talk to you guys about the issues going on today, um, especially relating to the prisons and the jails right here in New York City. Absolutely. Appreciate that, Jamal. Appreciate you both and all of your efforts. Uh, Brother Scotty, do we have that clip queued up, the six minutes with Slaver yeah. Vincent Sherelle? Yes, let's hope that it works, but I got it queued up. Let's see. But the Code of Union, which represents nearly 8,000 correction officers, said it is not nearly enough. And this comes as the investigation continues. The death of a 24-year-old inmate this week, making him the ninth inmate to die so far. This morning we're getting answers. Straight from the top, we are joined by Corrections Commissioner Vincent Chiraldi. So good morning to you, Commissioner. Live, rare interview here. Good to have you. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And we are actually from Rikers Island. This is where my office is. Understood, Commissioner. So let me get right to it, because a federal report released late last month uncovered some serious security lapses and protocol failures, in addition to a lack of supervision, right? You said you watched Pick Some More News. You've seen us report on it. Could any of these issues have led to this latest death at Rikers Island? Oh, I think there's no question that the issues that are raised by the monitor and the issues that I've just seen in the three months I've been here contribute to bad outcomes. Whether it exactly contributed to this death, there's still an investigation. But there are things happening here every day that are troubling that we're trying to fix. And those conditions that the monitor described, I, I mean, I agree with this report. He's doing a good job of finding the bad stuff, and it's now my job to fix that stuff. Yeah, you, you know, I, I have covered Rikers for quite some time, right? And I have, I have often talked about the violence occurring, 
inside and what exactly correction officers want to see. We've had the correction officers union on a number of times who have said the mayor's office, the corrections department do not want to hire new staff. They're saying that the last time a correction officer was hired was in February of 2019. You're now hiring 600 new officers. Realistically, when would they actually be on the job? It's 600 plus. So the new officers will be on the job probably at the beginning of 2022. But we're also calling back anybody who left within the last four years that was in good standing. That could be a retirement. That could be I left to have a baby, whatever. There's a lot of reasons people leave. And some of them are good employees. We're calling them back. We actually hired a telemarketer to call about a thousand people who left during that period of time to ask them to come back. They come back. Uh, they only need two so, weeks of retraining. So that could be like mid-October. So you're saying January, but we're talking about February of 2019 where there hasn't been a single correction officer hired. What was the length of, why was it such a length of time where there was a lapse in new hires? It was before my time, but let me put it in a broader perspective for you. So when Mayor de Blasio started on January 1st, 2014, we had 11,000 people locked up here and 9,000 staff. Today, we have 6,000 people locked up here and 8,400 staff. So, yeah, there was a decline in the number of staff by 600, but there was a 5,000-person a a decline in the number of people incarcerated. This isn't a do-we-have-enough-people-employed here problem. It's a do-we-have-enough-people actually coming to work problem. Right, and, and, and there have been uh, a number of instances where you're saying uh, correction officers are calling out sick, and that has led to officers working triple shifts here. But I want to just talk about that, right, because there have been staffing shortages. They've been saying it for quite some time that they're calling out sick because they're working triple shifts. On Sunday, according to the New York Post reporting, there were 33 guarded posts that were left unmanned by staff, and that 22 officers were working a triple shift just on Sunday alone. With those 600 new hires you're talking about, 600 plus, will that help with these triple shifts? And why were those places unmanned? Yes, but yeah, well, they're touring. So you're watching two shifts, which is not appropriate and not good. So I don't disagree with everything the union says. I agree with most of what they say. I just don't think hiring more people is the answer to every bit of the problem. So yes, hiring 600 people would help. But would also help if the third of my staff who are not at work, some of whom are sick and need to get better and stay home, and some of whom are not sick right. and need to come to work, would come to work. And I think it's important that there's not to paint with too broad a brush. Like some people came in every day during the pandemic, even though they knew they might work triples. Right. And they're absolute heroes. Some people just are sick and right. they need to get better. But some people are not sick and they need to come to work. But so, well, what can be done now, Commissioner, right? People yeah. are dying. Inmates are dying. Nine deaths in one year. That's alarming. Right. 22 unma- uh, 33 guarded posts unmanned. Is that concerning exactly. to you? What can be done to fix that now? Oh, it's concerning. So one thing we did is we looked at what NYPD and the fire department do, both of whom have unlimited sick leave like we do. And what they do is they require you to go to their own departmental doctor before you can be considered out sick. We instituted that a month ago. And when we did, there was a two-thirds decline in the number of people calling in sick. So that was step one. Now we got to ratchet it up a little better so that people aren't out quite as long sick. Because those people, when you ask when will new people come, the old people could come in faster than any of the new people. And so that's what I'm – priority number one is just get people to come back to yeah. work. And I'm teaching people. I, I come back to work if they're not sick. Commissioner, I only have 20 seconds here left. I don't know if you can answer this in 20 seconds here, but I, what if they don't come back to work and the sick outs continue? Is there a penalty or a punishment holding people accountable for not coming in? Yeah, although I don't think we punish our way out of this problem, people do have to be disciplined. And, yes, we're going to discipline them. If they don't come to work, uh, you know, there's a whole series of uh, cascading disciplines that we'll start to initiate. Really, first, I want to just ask people, Come back, relieve your fellow workers. They need your help. Uh, and that's, if I could give any message, and I, I do give that message, and lots of the workers that are in thank me for it. So that's, that's really message number one. But we are hiring. We are getting people to come back to work. Okay. We're starting up programs again. It'll be a good place to work. Commissioner Sheraldi, I appreciate you making the time for us this morning in a rare live interview. We'd love to have you back and continue these conversations. It's an issue we want to. All right, Tag, we're back from that, that interview. Um, 
just real quick, one of the things that they mentioned the pandemic one time, but he, the way he framed it was like it's in the past and like we're not still in the midst of it. And not, you know, I would never be a corrections officer, never considered it. Don't want to be uh, working on nobody's plantation, watching prison slaves and what have you. So that's number one. I would never do that. And, you know, we've actually had listeners of New Abolitionist Radio call in and say, hey, they used to have that job until they started listening to the program and they left that job. Uh, A lot of people don't, you you know, want to work in that field. Also, I'm saying the same thing. I just... um, you know, launched a new platform uh, called RVA Soul for the Richmond, Virginia area, working with some media partners up there. And so, you know, one of the things that they're facing is is uh, staffing shortages across the entire state. And so I, I also suspect that because of COVID and because of those confi- confined spaces, is that might be the reason why a lot of people um, don't want to come in. So your thoughts? Well, yes, and there is a real problem out here with that kind of messaging of referring to this outbreak and its consequences in the past, and uh, that certainly goes uh, double for uh, the inside where heads continue to struggle mightily uh, against that under the worst conditions. Uh, So I I wanted to highlight just, just a couple of... Uh, portions of that. Obviously, when we're talking about PIX11 or or any of these uh, dependent uh, media outlets, they have a certain framing. They have a certain narrative around all of this. They're dropping terms like hero and this and that. And obviously, uh, here on New Abolitionist Radio, we reject all of that. But it was very interesting and revealing um, some of what they, they chose to focus on and some of what they chose not to focus on. For example, nothing was mentioned of this new breaking up so-called gang housing policy that you spoke to a bit earlier, Jessica. So certainly uh, we, should, we should go further into that and why perhaps uh, this slaver chose not to mention that whatsoever um, and, and its implications. Also, um, they briefly, although I don't think that they named um, the the most recent individual who uh, transitioned on the inside, um, Isaias Johnson, who uh, was 24 years old and just just transitioned um, in this past week, in the past few days, and and they they listed that as so-called the the ninth death at the facility this year. However, other sources are reporting it as the 10th or reporting there mm-hmm. having been 10 um, deaths there. So I, I wanted to just point out some of those contradictions. I would love to hear y'all's uh, thoughts or responses to anything you heard there in the clip. Jamal, you want to speak on that? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so like my thoughts, my thoughts on this, on that clip right there is that it's complete BS because I know I can't curse what I really want to say. Um, it's complete BS, and like you were saying, Tag, earlier, like, it's because you know how the media is set up. The media is definitely the, the most effective devil in America. So, you know, the way, they, the way they portray everything and downplay it is exactly why, you know, me and Jessica, along with some other comrades, you know, um, came together to create the Eyes on You committee nyc um is because they've been they've been doing a great job an excellent job at making sure that this these type of things do not get out like you said there's certain things they're not talking about they're not talking about the fact that you have prisoners and currently incarcerated loved ones and community members that aren't even receiving toothbrushes people in the boat that don't even they don't even have toothpaste or toothbrushes or anything to keep themselves clean, to even try to even remotely protect themselves in the middle of this this global health pandemic called COVID-19, you know? Um, and, you know, like, you look at the jail situation, like, there was an article um, last week where they were talking about how, you know, 
if 80% of the people were even let out of jail or let out of these prisons and these cages and these plantations, whatever you want to call them, it could have put a real dent in the pandemic. But now that more and more people are just being stuffed into these cages like sardine cans and shit, pretty much, we're just, you know, it's just perpetuating it and it's dragging it out. And it angers me that this slaver is sitting there, you know, Vincent Chiraldi is talking about it like it's not happening. These are people's children. These are people's husbands. These are people's loved ones that are dying right now, you know, can I, behind can I the walls. Can I I want to jump in real briefly, and I'm sorry, you know, because my son is in there. One thing that I will say that has been giving me hope is the fact that, you know, on the inside, they're realizing, right, that they need to work together. So even though they're doing this, this diabolical mixing of, you know, tribes that they know already have some sort of beef, people are kind of, no matter how the media is portraying it, They'll, they'll say, oh, there was this fight and someone's screaming, I'm not this and I'm not that, don't beat me. They are inside doing something a little bit different. They are learning how to get along. They are putting aside some differences because they're starting to realize the enemies are these CEOs just because they look like us and they come from our neighborhood. They, they are still our enemy and they're part of the system. How about we chill for a moment? So there's some kind of something bubbling up on the inside where people are, like, saying, this is the worst it can get in here. Something got to give. So I'm having, I have hope because I, I'm hearing that this is some of the stuff that's kind of going on inside right now. So it's forcing people to take a look at who the real enemy is, and, and people are not really trying to hurt each other. You know, they're thinking about this, like they're doing this on purpose. Are we going to feed into this? I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Jessica, because even from some of the things that were said before we played that clip, you know, my mind went to a conversation I was having earlier. So, like, my organization, Black Talk Media Project, supports um, another organization called Clear the Airways Project, which is led by Kwabana Rasuli, which is taking aim at these radio stations that – that always target our communities with this music that promotes violent conflict resolution. And as I was telling him, you know, yeah, we can lobby the FCC, we can lobby Congress, we can do all this, we can do all that. But when it comes to this violence in our community, the police are not going to solve that problem. That's not their job to stop violence in our community. That falls to us to stop hurting each other. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about prison, you know, I'm thinking about Black um, um, Black Panther Party. I'm thinking like the Angola Three. I'm thinking Albert Wood, Fox, Robert King, and um, I forget the other guy's name that, that was part of that. And the reason they were being tortured on the inside so much down there in, at Angola Prison is because they organized the prisoners to stop looking at each other as the enemy and start working together and coming up with programs, you know, uh, uh, to, you know, just better each other, you know, whether that was reading and studying programs, education programs, or organizing. You know, the Black Panther Party did a lot of organizing on the inside, and it's good to hear that you're hearing similar action like that going on because, again, if the system is pitting us against each other, it, it don't make sense for us to go along with the plan. And I hope that heads on the inside are looking at this situation that they don't have to go along with what, what's intended for them. They love for us to hurt each other, and we shouldn't do that. So good to hear that you're hearing some of those type of organ, some of that type of organizing going on. Without a doubt. And, and this is the perfect moment just to shout out and acknowledge and recognize that we're right now at the 50th year from Attica, commemorating 50 years since those brothers and all of the heads uh, around, you know, on the outside that, that uh, supported with coordinating that, but where uh, has decided, you know, that enough was enough and really coordinated and got together um, and organized around, around these issues. So that's precisely the kind of work that is needed, and we know how these slavers viciously attack those efforts, but we also recognize the importance of those efforts and the fact that that spirit is ongoing and that legacy continues 
to this day. And so uh, I, I want to get further trans, into trans, I'm the... I'm sorry, for you trans, for yeah, you trans yeah. I need to take a station identification break right quick. Um, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, uh, which is a podcasting and digital radio platform that targets the black community, which includes Africa and the African diaspora. We'll be back on the other side. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're back. We're speaking with Jessica and Jamal, who are repping Take Back the Bronx, and we're talking about the heinous conditions inside of these plantations in New York. So uh, there's so much on the table already. I want to just take a brief step back to get further into the new group that has emerged out of New York City, out of these issues that you mentioned, Jamal. And so I I want to, A, um, I heard, Jessica, uh, in your intro, you mentioned about somebody being transferred, but I couldn't quite hear from the line. It sounded a little choppy. So could you repeat that about um, who was transferred? Was that that, uh, a loved one of yours? And then if the two of you can let us know more about uh, this new group, Eyes on You, NYC, um, the aims and objectives of that particular uh, organization. So, yes, my son had been transferred from Rikers to the boat um, through the commissioner, you know, just making all these changes and uprooting everybody just to make people uncomfortable. I mean, he just shifted and moved everyone to different places just to make that uncomfortability and to blend what I said he was trying to blend to create that chaos. And Jamal would be uh, a little bit better off to tell you a little bit more about Eyes on You. He's really good with that wording. Yeah. Okay. Um, For those that don't know, Eyes on You NYC is a committee comprised of members from Take Back the Bronx and our comrades in the branch um, that have come together to really deal with these issues that we are talking about today within these cages, within these jails, plantations, um, and to really, like, you know, shed a light on it because, like we were saying earlier, the media is not talking about it, but our family members, our loved ones, our children are the ones dying and being caged, and nobody seems to really know or nobody seems to really care or it's a little bit of both. So... That was like one of the, that was one of the things that really pushed for us to create this committee. The main objective is for us. We have a committee comprised of several community members, lawyers, doctors, people who are formerly incarcerated. That is independent of the state. We're not a nonprofit. We're not puppets. We don't have a, a million dollar sugar daddy giving us funds. We're basically trying to get into the prisons and the jails to see what the conditions are. We don't want, you know, the COs to guide us to the areas they want to show us. We want to see the areas that they don't want to show us, the things that they don't want to talk about, you know, because um, it's past time for being reactive. We can't be reactive. We have to be proactive. Um, you know, as a as a committee, it's our duty to go ahead and try to fight to get to get our people home and to get and to get these conditions exposed to the public because a lot of people, like I said before, are not aware of what's going on because it's being downplayed, and, it's not being talked about enough or at all. And one of the things that I think that's really different about our group is as it stands in New York City, you have the Board of Corrections, which basically this is a facade of a group which is made up of people who are just full of it, right? So they, they have no teeth. They're connected with the people on the inside. If you have a complaint, they're supposed to follow up. And these are the people that are privy to the inside. Now, you used to have nonprofits, which are another evil we cannot get into right now. They had access to Rikers and these other um, jails, so they could go in with these programs and say, all right, I'm going to talk to this inmate, and they could document stuff. But as it stands now with this COVID, nobody's going in anywhere. There's barely movement. 
So being able to access doctors and lawyers on a medical and mental tip, because that's even being denied to inmates, that's who we want to walk in there. We want to link arms with those people and be able to say this is on a medical and mental level. We have the right to do this because people are dying. This is a fact. And we want to come in and do our own tour and get word from word what's happening with inmates and bring it back to the rest of the world and, and deal with it on that level. Because as it is, they're invisible. They're absolutely invisible. If it wasn't for phone calls from them to family members, we would not know what's going on, who's dying, and what's happening. And a lot of the deaths aren't being reported, too, let's be honest. So it's what, only what we're hearing about that we know about. Imagine what we don't know. You know, so, to, that, exactly. to that point, I'm sorry. I was just going to say real quick, to, to that point, going back to that Black Doctor podcast I was listening to, is that that's one of the things that you can't get accurate information on is the deaths and what have you. Like, for example, somebody gets real sick or injured or what have you, and then they transfer them to a hospital and they die at the hospital, they don't count that as a prison death. They count that among the general population. And, and, you know, again, there is a lack of uniform reporting all around, whether we're talking federal, state, and of jail of municipal jails. That's that's right. And so, thinking about it in terms of the lack of accountability, the lack of reporting, and just the overall sense of impunity that they have inside of these plantations, uh, I, I was wondering if y'all could uh, speak further about uh, y'all released a press release recently uh, about the Labor Day massacre, referring to this new policy about uh, breaking up so-called gang housing, about uh, essentially just purposefully uh, mixing um, individuals and and populations, heads that um, may have, you know, traditional conflict or what have you in different street families, et cetera, um, and there didn't seem to be any uh, convincing justification as to as to why they would be doing that. And so I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can speak on that as well as let us know since the press release and since um, I, I, I trust that y'all have continued to stay in touch um, with Heads on the Inside as best you can about, you know, how that's going, um, what what has resulted in that, and uh, it's great to hear that there are positive reports coming out of this of uh, recognizing who the true enemy is. But could you give us any updates on, on that, on what have been the ramifications of this new policy and where does that, where is that even coming from and how might that impact the uh, CV-19 outbreak scenario that's going on inside of, uh, the boat and Rikers and, and these plantations throughout the city and state? Well, I'll go first, I guess, and then maybe Jamal. Well, basically, right. this blending of um, street families or tribes has been happening already. So it has been happening since the pandemic kind of started, but it has been unofficially sanctioned. It wasn't sanctioned officially, but it was happening. It was, it was happening, and we were hearing about it. You know, um, people were being moved to separate houses purposely. They were getting beat up, cut up, and then they were sent to the outside Hospitals, some of them weren't sent to outside hospitals because they didn't want the outside to know they were keeping them there, they were dealing with that there. So it had been happening for a minute. I think now that it's become sanctioned and it's official, there's more of a heads up and because it's been done with mass inmates. Before it was you had a three and four here, go to another house. Now it's like whole houses have been blended. Um, it's forcing people to take a look at that like, yo, they're really doing this to us. Um, sure, there has been stuff. Sure, people have been fighting. Let's be real. In the outside world, we have conflicts, and we need assistance sometimes to monitor and help yeah. intervene in those conflicts. Why wouldn't people on the inside need the same help? So, yeah, you're going to have some fatalities and, and injuries and things and that have been happening. So, but the, from what I've heard lately, there's been that happening, but also there's been that ideology, well, you know what? We're not going to do this. We're going to take care of our own stuff. So, like, when some of the staff members didn't even show up on Rikers, some of the inmates had to take care of their own stuff, and they did so beautifully, right, which goes to show if you 
house people together and leave them alone. Don't force no, or sabotage no, no, no scenarios. Don't make up these violent scenarios for them. People will and can thrive. That's what we've done historically. So that, that's the kind of vibe we're getting now that it's shifting a bit, where people are kind of taking a step back like, mm, we don't have the energy for this. We don't have commissary. We're hungry. We're not getting medical. We're tired. We ain't got time to fight each other. So this is the feedback that we're getting. I don't know, Jamal, if you want to add anything. Now, that's, you pretty much hit the nail on the head on that one right there as far as um, feedback we've been getting um, since they've been blending, you know, the the houses and everything. Certainly encouraging to hear. I want to just, going back to uh, what was mentioned around the Angola 3, just want to also shout out, um, that was Herman Wallace, the, the third member uh, that, that you were thinking of. And so uh, absolutely rising power to that brother. And again, you know, it, it, what the Angola 3 did, what uh, Attica um, heads across the board did, and, and what it sounds like heads are doing now uh, on the boat and in, in Rikers is, is pivotally important. As, as they continue to demonstrate that those are not lives that they're concerned with and they're far more, and by, by they, meaning, you know, these, these corporate media outlets like Pix11, et cetera, the various other dependent media that have either reported on this in um, completely backward ways or haven't reported on it at, at all, you know, demonstrating time and again that, that these are not lives that they are concerned over. They're concerned over the overseers and hiring, you know, another 600-plus overseers to be in there creating further confusion and further sabotage. So uh, just greatly appreciate the, the efforts that y'all are, are putting down um, as regards that. And um, did, did you have something you wanted to add, Brother Scott? Oh, no, no. But thanks for reminding oh, me okay. of uh, Herman Wallace. Oh, oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. And so um, just continuing, I, I'm wondering if y'all can share with us some of the recent actions that the Eyes on You Committee has undertaken, uh, particularly around the juvenile facilities. I know I've seen some images of some, some strong uh, resistance artwork that was included in that action. And I know that there have been other actions going on, as well as any upcoming actions that y'all have planned or may be in the works that you're able to share at this moment. Um, I could jump in and talk about that a little bit. Um, so recently, like two or three weeks ago, we, did, we had the Eyes on You press conference in front of the Horizons Juvenile Facility here in the Bronx. And, you know, we had... Um, uh, a dummy that was there laying on the floor, you know, under a white sheet with a fitted cap and some Timberland boots, you know, to demonstrate that this system is basically feeding off of our, our youth. You know, it's the womb-to-prison pipeline, as Jessica has said numerous times, you know, in meetings and discussions we've had. Um, you know, because where it starts, this doesn't start like just – out of the blue. This starts from when these kids, when our kids are young, you know, from when, from the moment they go ahead and take these standardized tests in schools, that's when they go ahead and start, you know, picking them out. It's almost like getting draft picks and looking at prospects, but except for it's for the penitentiary. It's for the, it's for the penitentiary, you know, it's for the prison system that they do. So we went ahead and we had News 12 there, even though we know they're going to remix and dilute our message with what they always do, you know, what mainstream media does. But we had a pretty decent turnout and just wanted to get the word out to the community of what's going on as far as the blending of the jails, the fact that we demanded that we want to be let in as community members, the fact that we want our people released. We are pushing for people Right now, our long-term goal overall is abolition. We want everybody out. All the jails destroyed, everything. That's the long-term goal. But at the moment, anybody that has nonviolent like felonies, let them out. 
There's no point in keeping them there. You got people there that hop the turnstile in these prisons, in these cages, just taking up, you know, just sitting there rotting or being killed or, you know, just just dying because of this pandemic. As far as, like, upcoming actions and everything, you have to stay tuned on that one. We can't just disclose everything off the rip right now, but definitely thinking about um, different things and different avenues moving forward. Also, like, I just want to say this, too, is, like, as far as, like, us in the community, we it's, we got to think 10 steps ahead, too. We can't just think about just when they're in jail. We got to think about when they get out as well. Because at some point, our people will be free. At one point, they will be free. So we got to look at ourselves, too, and stop. And people in our communities got to stop being ghetto snobs. And I'm talking to the nine-to-five people, especially, that think they're better than everybody, that got the pensions and got the good jobs and got the nice houses and got their degrees. You can't look at people in the streets, uh, street pharmacists, sex workers, street family members, and look at them and view them as disposable and then expect them to have your back and, quote, unquote, bang on the system and not each other when you're looking down on them hoping that they die or they're in jail, but you want them to just go ahead and protect you when, when, at your convenience. You know, we, we as a community overall, we as a black and brown community, we got to look in the mirror at that part too because at the, at the same way the system views us as disposable, prisons are nothing but societal garbage cans. We got to stop disposing of our people in our communities, too, and learn how to deal with each other and talk to each other, you know, and not judge each other and fight each other off. We already got white supremacy doing that. We don't need any help doing it. They don't need any help doing that. So that's, that's it for me right there. Well, let me, let me just say this, Scotty speaking, that that, that message strongly resonates uh, with me, um, particularly in, in the wake of Bill Cosby. Okay, I don't. Bill Cosby's pound cake speech that he gave to the NAACP that was an audience full of those type of nine to fivers, corporatists that you were speaking on when he suggested yep. that nobody should march on behalf of somebody because he stole some cake. You know, he deserved to get shot in the back of the head. I really pushed back against that, you know, and, and yeah. you know, I don't know, call it ironic, but he found himself to be a prison slave, and now he's out, and now I want to see, you know, what is he going to do from the outside? Is he going to use his millions to, uh, you know, um, work towards abolishing this system of injustice? So I'm not even speaking on whether he was guilty or not. That doesn't even matter. But I, I keep hearing in different conversations that pound cake speech come up, you know, mm-hmm. where we care about other members of our society simply because they may not be as educated, they may not have this piece of paper, they may not be making this much money, they might not be driving this or driving that. We know we live in a capitalistic, materialistic society, and that that's just got to stop. You know, to me, yep. you know, you're picking a side. When, when you look down on, on what you might call the least of us and say we deserve this treatment, Oh, you made yourself an enemy of me. So you really resonated with me on that. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's, it needs, it needs to be said because, you know, the, you know, it feels like being in the hood, it feels like a prison. Even when you're outside, the hood feels like a prison because the police out here are no different than the CEOs in there. They're out here to keep us in check. You know, they're, they're not there to keep us safe. They're there to protect the property and the elite, you know, and the 1%. And, um, you know, like, the more people understand that, you know, and get to actually, people need to just, people need to just, yo, meet their community members and actually meet people where they at. And, you know, stop being on, stop being bougie and stop thinking because you have this piece of paper that that makes you better than somebody, you know, like, because you never know who you're going to need. You never know in this in this world who you are going to need. So I really hope our community members that's listening to this, I hope especially people in organizing spaces are listening to this. Check your check your class privilege at the door. Check it at the door, please. Yes, yes, please, please do that. Indeed, uh, 
certainly would like to just further concretize some of these spaces real quick, especially for those that may be listening or will catch this later that haven't been to the area, haven't been to visit or inside of any of these facilities. And I want to just note that this this most recent individual who transitioned inside of Rikers, uh, Esaias Johnson, who was 24 years old, they're saying that uh, Esaias was being held there um, off of what they call, you know, a, a fugitive warrant or whatever, basically, you know, had some kind of warrant out and, you know, they, they weren't able to account for for um, Esaias or whatever it is. But um, what, what brought Esaias in, inside into Rikers apparently was what's called menacing. That, that's what they what they put Esaias Johnson down for. Menacing can mean anything from it's basically about making people feel as though they are not safe, which is, of course, it, it's mad subjective on so many levels. It could be anything from, you know, displaying some kind of weapon or what can be perceived as a weapon to, to uh, questions of people having uh, that, that may have, have a, uh, uh, what, what is this called, they, that may have, have a protection order out and, and maybe you're near to someone with a protection order. So a lot of leeway for them to, to bring Esaias Johnson in under so-called menacing uh, only to end up uh, transitioning uh, under their custody. So just wanted to point that out. We're talking about heads that in many instances, you know, have not uh, seen a, a trial, have not seen a courtroom, and they're, you know, um, heads are really just, just facing death sentences under these circumstances. It's, it's completely abysmal. And so I, I'm, I'm wondering if y'all can just help um, those that are unfamiliar, especially with the boat, you know, with this um, Vernon uh, C. Baines um, facility. Uh, can, you, can you help us to visualize and to just recognize, like, what, what is this space? We're talking about literally a, a, a boat jail facility um, just direct lift from from these uh, slaver ships. Um, can you can you speak to us on that? Especially you know here on New Abolitionist Radio, um, our focus is on the Thirteenth Amendment exception clause and the fact that they are practicing slavery in the U.S. under legalized uh, sanction through that exception clause. So um, can you help just just paint a picture for those who have not interacted with it? What is this um, Vernon? Bain Center, this this jail boat, and um, what what are heads who are um, in inside of there facing on a day to day? It's definitely a, a, a slave ship, as you said. Um, it's very tight and con- confining. No little to no light gets in there. Um, the AC has to be up at an. Uh, it's it's crazy how high the AC is up. I've been there to visit. My son was there a few years ago, four years ago, and it is freezing beyond belief. All of them wear two or three thermals. Reason being, the water around them is putrid and it's rotten. It's still water. So the smell is always like sewer water. And because of that, you have all types of different bugs. So inmates get lots of bug bites because of that putrid water that they're on. Um, It is dilapidated, to say the least. It's rusted. It's not fit for people to be on, just as Riker is. is. So, you know, there's that. Um, and we had someone that had a drone there. We had just released, like, this little short clip about it. These people were actively, for months, they had a drone going around the boat and were picking up radio frequencies, and they were hearing things like, get the gas for inmate whatever in this cell. Get the... Um, the uh, the gurney for this inmate get the um lock the lock the pad lock for, so they, like they're gassing them it's not even like regular mace what they're using they're just violating in every type of they putting them uh, on on gurneys with padlocks and it's like no one hears their cries because they're on a boat now since they got uncovered and a lot of that was you know made public they no longer are using radio frequencies. They stop. So now, once again, we have the invisible cloak. 
which is why we're pushing so hard to be like, no, you're not going to keep killing our people, and we're just sitting at home or standing around with some signs. Like, it, stuff's going to pop off eventually. You know what I'm saying? Like, families are going to get tired and be like, what else we got left to lose? Let's go all out. So this is why, like, we're really trying to push to see if, like, this committee can be something to get us in there because other than that, it's definitely going to be an uprising from families, uprising from families because we're not going to keep sitting here while you're killing people inside these places and, 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 and we don't know about it. And by the time we find out about it, no one is held accountable. Well, greatly appreciate you laying that out for us. And, yes, certainly did, did peep um, some of that as far as the coverage that they were able to pick up coming from the vote and those radio frequencies. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's mad harrowing. And, and to think that their, their solution to that is just to stop using the radio frequencies, not to stop uh, violating people, not to release people from under those conditions, it, it, it just goes to show what, where their priorities are at. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything that y'all want to leave us with and leave those that are listening with as regards how anyone can connect with y'all and support um, on various levels. So whether it's somebody that's in the New York City area that would want to get up with y'all and, and, you know, directly uh, connect and support with Eyes on You Committee or, um, you know, throughout the various states and, and localities and, and globally, uh, what kind of support are y'all looking for at this moment and, and moving forward? You want to give out our IG information? And- yes. Oh. Yep. Okay. So if anybody wants to reach out to us, whether they're in the New York City area or in any part of the country, you can contact us at Eyes on You NYC. That's our Instagram. You can also hit up at Root and Branch, and you can also hit up at Take Back the Bronx. Just um, let us know. Let us know what you want to do. You know, you can also support. You know, by trying to start similar movements going on all across all across this this you know the United States of America. You know, you gotta it. Let this be. Let eyes on you be just the first domino in this whole domino effect. I want other people to start similar movements and start pushing because pushing this because you know what the same thing that's happening here in New York City is probably happening in other places. I'm willing to bet on that. So that's how another way you could support as well. And the last thing I would say is too is just close your eyes for a minute. Everybody that's listening, I want you to close your eyes for a minute and just imagine that those same people that are, on the, that are in these jails, that are in these cages, in these plantations, whatever word you want to pick out of a hat and describe them as, and I want you to imagine that's your kid. I want you to imagine that's someone you love. I want you to imagine if it's you. And if you ever needed a reason of why you should care, why you should give a damn, about these issues we're talking about today, that's the reason why. And that's what I'm going to leave y'all with. Respect, respect. And uh, Jessica, before we close out, is there anything that you would like to leave with the New Abolitionist Radio listeners? Um, You know, just like was mentioned already, be active, proactive, whatever that is. Even if you can't be mobile, if you can also support um, in other ways by helping people to get flyers out or media, just figure out what your niche is and do it because if you're breathing, you can help in the movement, whatever that is. So you got to figure that out for yourself or be proactive, whatever that might be. Much appreciated. Greatly appreciate you both for uh, stepping through to New Abolitionist Radio. I also want to shout out uh, one Hakeem Campbell, who also transitioned on the inside. Uh, he was one of the members um, of, of what has been referred to as the Bronx 120, one of the many individuals who were snatched up in a raid or a series of raids and uh, ended up transitioning on the inside um, out in Georgia. 
and there's an ongoing mm-hmm. fundraiser for Hakeem Campbell. If you go to GoFundMe, search for Justice for Hakeem, and that's, again, Hakeem Campbell, who also transitioned inside. This was not inside of New York, but uh, he was snatched up from, from inside of New York and shuttled throughout the, the federal plantation system that uh, exists here in the U.S., so um, just once again, greatly appreciate y'all for linking up. Ideally, we can connect again before long and just uh, wishing you all the best in your efforts and um, especially with regards to your, your loved ones inside. Uh, Brother Scotty, did you have anything that you wanted to uh, add here or oh, no. uh, close no, out I, with? No, I didn't. Just um, to uh, thank you two for coming on and uh, sharing with our audience the type of actions that y'all are engaged in. And I wholeheartedly agree, you know, with what um, she said about you get in where you fit in. You know, you know what your talents are. You know what you're good at. You know, you know what type of resources you have. So figure out where you fit in this movement. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Stand in the street in line at the moment of homelessness. Too many die every day, only really just wantness. Freedom. 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 That's what I love.